All right, well, turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. We have been going uh, for a little while, verse by verse, through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're in chapter number 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today and think about this topic. You matter and why it matters. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and there, uh, beginning with verse number 1. I'm reading through the, uh, from the New King James Version of the Bible. I usually read through tons of translations in the week and compare, and, uh, but this is the translation I'm using for my preaching currently. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles or some translations will say pagans, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. And essentially what he's saying is in your pre-Christian condition, you were uh, idolaters and you were led by uh, things that were not God. So that's what he's saying. Uh, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings, by the same Spirit, to another the working of uh, miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. God, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for how it uh, speaks and is living and powerful And God, we pray that you'll use it in our lives today and uh, open our understanding as we think about your spirit and his work and we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name, amen. G.K. Chesterton was a brilliant writer from another generation and uh, Father Brown, if you ever see that on PBS, that's G.K. Chesterton. He didn't write novels, he wrote a lot of essays, but he was a brilliant, uh, brilliant thinker. He said, all men matter. He says, you matter, I matter. It's the hardest thing in theology to believe. Yeah, I feel that way sometimes, like it's a struggle to believe that I matter and that my contribution is all that significant of a thing. But the scripture, (coughs) excuse me, says you matter. And you matter to people who may not ever tell you that you matter. You may uh, have a huge investment into the lives of people that never acknowledge that, hey, what you're doing is really important to me. But what you do, the life that God has given to you, has significance, it matters, and the direction of your life has importance. And it's not an accident according to our understanding of uh, theology. Your life is not an accident, and life generally is not. It was created with the overarching purpose because there's a a creator God. And when we think about who he is, he created people with incredible capacity. I love um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that says, You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. 
You're his workmanship. Uh, the idea is that God made you, and when he made you, he was completely happy with what he was doing. And he committed to you and to me good works. He says he prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. Our lives aren't cosmic accidents or some blip on the radar because of who God is. Our lives matter. So Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that prayer, we're committing ourselves to, to the answer, right? It says, uh, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But I want to be part of that. I want to be part of the answer to that, that prayer. And so we're stating that there are some things that are worth living for, and we're stating that there is someone worth living for. We're saying there's someone and that there are things in life that are worth our commitment and that there's a purpose that's in the basic reality that God created and so when we read this purpose, we find out that, or this passage, we find out that uh, there are spiritual realities that God has given to those that know him. <clears throat> the word here is, uh, or the idea is spiritual gifts. And so probably it's something we're familiar with, but let's think about how spiritual gifts undergird uh, the idea that your life matters and that God wants to use your life as you as you live for him so the first idea we see in this passage is that your salvation matters your salvation matters because he talks here about a pre-christian experience that people had he said before you were a follower of christ you didn't have the leadership of the holy spirit in our, in your life concerning spiritual gifts he says i don't want you to be ignorant but there was a time in your life in which you were ignorant you didn't know these truths, and uh, they weren't part of your experience. You, you weren't led by God, and you weren't animated by God. Romans 8, verse 9 says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not His. That's what it says. He says, what makes a person a Christian is the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God who animates us. You remember how Ephesians puts it? It says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It says, you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. So there, there was a, a condition in each person's life in which we were not conscious and alive to God, didn't understand that God was speaking, didn't know that God spoke specifically and that God led. And, you know, we, we probably had some concept of the reality of God, but the Bible says when God comes... To live inside of us, he makes us new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old, old things pass away. It says, behold, all things become new. We're made new. You remember how Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus in uh, John chapter 3. <coughs> it says that Nicodemus was a teacher uh, who came to Jesus by night. And Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, you must be born again. That, that wasn't what exactly that guy thought he was coming to talk to Jesus about, but Jesus saw his need, and he says, here's your need. Your need is that you need to be born again. And he was confused. He's like, well, how can a man go a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, hey, you're thinking about natural birth, but I'm talking about spiritual birth. 
And spiritual birth is the idea that God will live inside of us, that he'll make his presence in you, and that's the new birth. We're animated and made alive in a way that we weren't before. We're connected to God where before we weren't. And uh, so that's how we get spiritual gifts is because the Bible says Jesus conquered. And in his conquering, there's a, a verse where it says he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. He led captivity captive. In other words, he uh, defeated death and hell and Satan. And in the process, <clears throat> looted him. And then he gave the loot to us. He's like, here's a gift for you. And so every person has been given some gift. It was the weirdest thing to me to find out that God wanted me to teach people and stand in front. I would have never have guessed that or chosen that. You know, I never would have thought that somewhere, you know, along the way that was God's intent for me is that he would make me a teacher or put me in a position to equip and lead and help other people as they followed him. It was a gift, a grace gift. That's what uh, spiritual gifts are. It's what grace does for you. God's grace for you is that he empowers you in specific ways that the Bible talks about. And we'll get into those as we, uh, some of this as we go through. Uh, I should tell you that if you want to know where the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, it's also in Romans chapter 12. It's also in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 that the Bible talks about the equipping, how the Spirit of God, when he comes to live inside of you, equips you uniquely to serve, and that's where you're going to find your joy. That's where you're going to find, uh, that's where you're going to find fulfillment is as you understand how God's equipped you and you live that out, you flesh it out. So, But before Christ came into our life, we didn't know that. We didn't have access to his purpose, and we weren't living it out. So the most important decision or commitment that a person can make is to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord, to surrender, to give up. You know, at one point in our life, for me, I was in rebellion against God. I lived my life outside of his purpose and his plan. But there was a point in time where I knew that I was making a mess out of my own life, and it was never going to work if I kept trying to do it my way. And so I stopped resisting, you know, I put my arms down and I surrendered and I said yes to the gift that God was trying to offer to me and forgiveness. So he, he provided for me forgiveness in the cross of Jesus, Jesus' death. The fact that the Bible teaches that God came to earth and that he lived here as a human being and that he was the only perfect person and the only perfect person all the imperfect people uh, nailed to a cross and then when he was nailed on that cross he took on himself our punishment atonement is jesus the perfect sinless lamb of god dying in the place of all of us uh, people who are alienated and going our own way and in rebellion and so in my rebellion at 24 years old i'm like this is not working this is not, I know I'm not living the life that God intended for me. And my mom, I've shared this story before, at 24 years of age, my mother led me to faith in Jesus. I had heard the gospel many, many times, but I'd never internalized it. I'd never said, yes, this is true, and it's not just true for somebody, it's true for me. 
And so it was the turning point, a crisis, an intersection where my willingness to repent and to put my faith in Jesus, that intersected. And, and my confidence, I didn't understand everything that it meant at the time, but that's when God began to impart gifts to me. It's one of the blessings of being born again. So we need the Holy Spirit's work among us. The Holy Spirit's work is what makes all the difference. And uh, this quote from A.W. Tozer tears me up. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% uh, of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Isn't that a sad commentary? He said, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did, or 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. He says the, the Spirit's work among them made the difference. It was what, who God was, <coughs> excuse me, and what God was doing among them. His presence made all the difference. The Holy Spirit empowers and enables us. The Holy Spirit is a person, the Bible says, not an it or a force, a person, the third person of the Trinity, of God's triune personality. The, sometimes theologians will call it the Godhead. Jesus, it's in this passage, by the way, when he talks, he says there are different kinds of gifts, but one Lord, one Spirit, one God. There's that uh, idea of God's personality imprinted in the Scripture, even in this passage that we just read. But the Holy Spirit is God, God who comes to in inhabit you, and that is mind-blowing. Jesus said at a point to his followers, Truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Listen to what he says. They will do even greater works than these because I'm going to my Father. And that, that's uh, hard for us to get our brains around. Jesus said, you, my followers, can do greater works than I did. And, and he said the reason why is because I'm going to my Father. When he went to his Father, the Bible says that he gave us the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus ascended, part of what the transaction involved was that believers were, you remember Pentecost today actually in liturgical churches is Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? No, you didn't because you're not liturgical. <laughs> you know, we're not. We're like a free church kind of is probably the background or tradition to this church. But in liturgical churches today, they observe Pentecost. Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. They were told, go into the upper room and pray. And as, and as they prayed, do you remember what happened? It says they heard a sound as of a great rushing wind. And then uh, tongues of fire fell on them. And they began to speak in languages they didn't know. For, for Everybody's assembled there in Jerusalem. And it was when the church just began to bust wide open. They went out, and these guys who didn't know how to speak in languages were given the gift to speak, and the people heard the gospel in their language, and the church began to explode. And God showed up. The Holy Spirit came to them, and the Holy Spirit began to make all the difference, just like Jesus said. Jesus' ministry was limited to Palestine and to wherever he could walk. But when, when the Holy Spirit came, that ministry began to grow exponentially into Europe and in, in, into, you know, the civilized world. By the time 
<coughs> you know, tradition has it that Thomas went to India with the gospel. And so and the Holy Spirit begins to empower believers to do his work. And before the Spirit comes in, we don't have access to what God is doing. And it's why we have to surrender at some point. And we have to open our lives up to his forgiveness and the great gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And then we experience that God's leading and direction is a part of our our life and our family and our uh, interaction with other believers and non-believers. We, we uh, begin to experience what it means to be commissioned and sent and we, we become part of God's answer for the world. We do because the Spirit of God lives in us and empowers us. And, and so we learn how to listen to God and follow Him and uh, we know now that His will is accessible to us. It's not a mystery that we can't get our brain around. His will is accessible to us. Accessible. And we don't have to fall, fall victim. One of the challenges when we start thinking about spiritual gifts is that they're subject to abuse. The spiritual gifts are subject to abuse. When you read this passage, he says, nobody can say that Jesus uh, is accursed and claim I'm speaking by the Holy Spirit. Why would he say that? Who would say something absurd like that? Well, apparently somebody was. That's why he talks about it. Somebody was saying Jesus is accursed and then claiming that the Holy Spirit was leading them to say that. that when we start thinking about spiritual gifts, we have to be careful because people it becomes fuzzy and subjective you know, for people. And all of a sudden you've got uh, uh, someone who, who claims that the answer for your life is if you send me money, then... Uh, God will bless you, you know. He'll take the money that you're sending me, and he's going to bless you. And you end up with hucksterism, right? You end up with people that uh, claim to be able to heal, and they have these public services where somebody comes forward, and perhaps it's all been set up, but if that guy wants to impress me, he should go to the hospital, right? He should go to the nursing home. You know, we have to be careful because what we see is that the work of God is real, but sometimes people are fake. <laughs> people are phony. And, <clears throat> and, and what they had going on was people claiming that things were part of the work of the Spirit of God, which had nothing to do with the Spirit of God at all, which is not to say that God can't heal because God absolutely can heal. There were works of healing. When you start looking at spiritual gifts, one thing you have to decide is what do I believe is still a valid operation of the Holy Spirit in our day and what was uh, part of the work that God was doing to uh, establish the gospel ministry in their day. Sometimes people will call that uh, cessationism. When we get to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he'll talk about some things that have ceased and people will say, well, that means that the operation of the Spirit in the way that it was happening in the first century is not the same as it is in our day. And I think there are two things we have to be careful of, and one is limiting God. We have to be careful not to limit God. We have to be careful not to say, God can't do that. Wait a minute. Nothing's impossible with God. But the other thing we have to be careful of is not abusing something to manipulate people or to try to get control or to try to uh, take advantage of people because people can misuse religion and manipulate people and, and uh, 
They can claim things that they can't support from Scripture. And the way that we usually know that that's happening <clears throat> is because the person is building themselves up and not Jesus. They're building themselves up. And the spotlight is on them and, and uh, not on Jesus. So, the, you know, we felt, in the, you may be familiar with um, the first and second great awakening in the U U.S., or maybe not, but there were two great awakenings, and people like George Whitfield, when you go to Savannah Whitfield, my uh, GPS will always say Whitefield. I'm like, no, no, no. George Whitfield, that's who it's talking about. He was a, a missionary. The, the um, Wesleys came to Savannah, right? If you know much about uh, your local history, you had John and Charles Wesley were in Savannah and founded orphanages and did, you know, phenomenal work. And on the way back to, um, you know, England on a, on a boat, met the Moravians and experienced the uh, Holy Spirit of God. All that happened, like, in Savannah. Some of that stuff happened down there. And George Whitfield would go and preach in public places and 10,000 human beings show up to hear George Whitfield preach in a cemetery. And they hated him, and they'd throw dead cats at him and stuff like that. The, a great awakening happened in the United States of America. A great awakening where the gospel was transforming like whole communities. There's a place in Georgia called New, New Bern that they changed the name of that place to newborn because they said there was not a single person in that town of adult age who did not come to faith in Jesus Christ. This happened like back in the 1800s. And you hear about Sandy Creek Revival. And you hear, hear about all these places where the work of God was just going on in phenomenal power. People like Whitfield, his biography is fascinating. Um, you know, they weren't perfect people at all, but they were people that loved Jesus and God was using to evangelize huge amounts of uh, people. And then the Second Great Awakening, you get uh, Jonathan Edwards and people like that in these movements that, that God used in uh, powerful, phenomenal ways. But then something started to happen at some of the meetings and you'd have people laughing hysterically and You'd have people barking like dogs, and you'd have, you know, things that were happening uh, in those meetings, emotionalism, and they started having to go, time out, this isn't God. This isn't God. This is people manifesting things to draw attention to themselves. And so that's why I say we have to be careful, like the Scripture says here, not everything that somebody says is of God is of God. And, and so we need to be discerning and compare, you know, Scripture. But our salvation is the starting point for us to experience God's work in assigning gifts to us. But also, secondly, in this passage, I think what we see is our collaboration matters. Collaboration, such a, a beautiful idea, is the idea of how God works in us and among us and through us, all of us, so that we're part of a tapestry. You know, I, one thing that's neat to me about Christian community and church is that we end up connected to people that we wouldn't be connected to otherwise. We wouldn't know. Uh, we wouldn't have any affinity with them. 
And the affinity that we have with them is because God's Spirit lives in them and in us. He lives in them and in us. And so God puts us into community so that we are part of something bigger than our own individual life. He put you in community with other people so that you're part of something that's bigger than just your own preferences and your own life and your own ability. And so he weaves us together. And he's the center in reality, centering reality in Christian community. It's God himself. And so we serve because Jesus snatched our life from futility and destruction. We think about where's my motivation? What's my motivation to be connected to other people and to, to give up my time and to give up my life? Will Jesus snatch my life from futility and destruction? I was on my way to hell, and he took me out of that. I love how the psalm writer puts it in Psalm chapter 40. He says that he um, took, took, us, uh, uh, took us out of the miry clay, and he put our feet on solid ground, and he put a new song in our mouth. Praise to our Lord. Many will see it in fear, he says. He redeemed our lives from the pit, Psalm 103, verse 4. Therefore, you know, we, we love him and we serve him out of gratitude. And collaboration is better than competition. That's human selfishness and our natural bent is toward competition, you know. Um, whether it's between congregations or people in congregations, but what... God wants is not competition but collaboration where co the, what's present in that word when you look at it what do you see co-labor right co-labor that you your part and your part and my part God puts it all together and he he out of that energizes and blesses and makes something that is powerful and transformational and so that collaboration Competition is about the glory of people. Collaboration is about the glory of God. When churches splinter into subsets, we are contradicting the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. You remember when Jesus, they call it his high priestly prayer. This is what he prayed. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So I keep reminding myself of that all the time. That when we, we think about how, we, I talked about this last week, that community means that uh, I'm together with people that sometimes it's, we're going to clash or uh, we won't mesh exactly. And, and, and so it's difficult, and yet at the same time, if I want to honor the prayer that Jesus prayed, Jesus said, work through it. You know, get past your own uh, issues and, and be, be connected to people. And I was telling somebody this earlier, you know, it's very possible to be this, uh, in the same room with people that you aren't connected to. Even though you're in the same room with them here at this church, you're not necessarily connected to them. And that, that's, not, um, that's not God, right? Because Jesus said in his high priestly prayer that they all may be one just as you... So you hear people talk about uniformity. And, of course, that's not the idea, but unity is the idea. Uniformity is like you can't be different, and you, everybody has to be, you know, the same. Well, that's, that's different than the idea <coughs> that I love you in spite of differences. I love you in spite of differences. 
So he, he, uh, we find common ground for the gospel's sake. And we can't be our best in isolation of other Christians. I thought about this, like uh, imagine a machine that the parts of it are in three different states, you know. Part of this machine is in South Carolina, and part of it's in Georgia, and part of it's in Florida. Well, it can't be effective if in, in that state, right? Its effectiveness is in its togetherness. So you bring those parts from Florida and Georgia and South Carolina together, and then the machine meshes and it works. And in the same way, our effectiveness is in our togetherness. Our effectiveness is in our togetherness. That's how you know, God is going to use us and bless us. And so we keep working toward that all the time, that sense of unity and singleness in the kingdom. But also, thirdly, here in this passage, we see that our availability matters. Your availability matters because it, the Scripture passage talks about us as... Uh, you know, basically the idea is that even though there are different gifts, all of them came, came from the same Spirit, come from the same Spirit, and God has the same intent for each life. And he gets into this more in the part of the passage that we'll look at uh, next week in describing the body, the body, that it has a lot of members, but they all uh, are working together. And so we'll, we'll see that. But our availability matters. In Corinth, we know that the people were affected by pride and self-centeredness and that it was expressed in an unhealthy way as we've seen in other places. Like last week, you remember we talked about Lord's Supper if you're here, and we said that uh, some of them ate all the food before anybody else could get there and some of them got drunk and they mistreated each other. And so the uh, Bible is showing us that there's an unhealthy way to experience community. They were seeking the spotlight, and Jesus is saying, hey, that's my spotlight, that's not your spotlight. But they, they, they wanted the attention on themselves, and, and uh, they were inconsiderate, and there's no such thing as an inconsiderate servant. If you're a servant, inconsiderate is like not part of that. And, and, and so they were inconsiderate, and they found their identity in themselves and not in Jesus. And so Jesus is, says that I'm, we've given, been given, the scripture shows us we've been given gifts, but a gift is a gift. It's not something you deserve or it, it's something that God gave to you. And so spiritual gifts are, some people say, endowments. A spiritual gift is a channel for the spirit to bless through. It's a supernatural desire. You know, I remember when uh, I was working through the idea that God was calling me to preach and to teach, that I had a pocket New Testament on me all the time. And I had a notepad on me all the time because all these ideas were coming to me all the time. And then all of a sudden, God start, starts to give me opportunities to preach all the time. He opens up these doors for me and... Uh, begins to help me see my the experiences of my life. It's so interesting. I think of all the things that God, uh, the jobs I had. I worked in a grocery store. I worked in a welding shop. I uh, worked at a bomb plant in the Savannah Riverside. They called it the bomb plant where they used to process tritium and uranium. And I just think of all the experiences that I had all along the way, how God was teaching me about systems and showing me uh, how, to, how to relate to people. And we don't think all the time about what God's doing in our journey. 
But he gave me a supernatural desire. It came from God. Then our spiritual gifts are sources of joy, divine motivations, a divine calling and responsibility. So if God gifts you, then listen, you're accountable in the end. If God gives you something, out here at the end, God expects you to be faithful in it. You remember the story of the, um, the parable of the talents, how one guy's given five, one guy's given you know, three, and one guy's given one. And the guy that was given one talent went and buried it in the ground. And he, he said, because I knew that you would hold me accountable in the end, and so I just buried your talent and held on to it. And he, he wasn't commended, was he? And no, because God in the end is going to hold you into account for what he's gifted to you to be used. It's, a, uh, it's to be used for his glory. They're not uh, given to you to make you an egomaniac and balanced and self-focused. Spiritual gifts remind us to rest in the fact that God will come through. That's what I like about this passage. There's some confusing stuff, a word of faith. You know, what, some of the ideas here definitely tend toward um, a, a more of a charismatic uh, way of viewing spiritual gifts than probably most of the people here are comfortable with. But the, the thing that I really like is the idea that God by his spirit shows up and comes through. God comes through. And that when we gather, there ought to be a sense of expectancy. Expectancy that God's going to do something God-sized among us and in, in, in our lives and through us even. <clears throat> they remind us that God made us and we came from him and that we're going to him. To him. I think about like spiritual gifts and the idea of uh, healing, for example, that we were talking about before and how that sometimes it's confusing, you know, when we think about gifts of healing and why some people uh, die young and why some people live to you know, some ro robust age. And all I know is that God created us and he, and we're, we came from him and we're going to him. And, you know, I'm reminded all the time that God cares and is more heartbroken than us about the state of the world. Sometimes we think, you know, I think one of the confusing things for people is, like, why is the world like it is if God is all-powerful? But God cares more about the brokenness of the world than we do. And he wants to use us as his hands and his feet. And this scripture reminds us that, uh, that that's what God's heart is like. And that we, I confess that life is often a fathomless mystery. That's how I experience it. I wish I could explain everything, but I'm sorry, I can't. There are parts of life that are a mystery. And yet, God is good. God is good. And we try to catch the spirits when uh, like I've heard people say, you just get your sail up. You get your sail up, and then God's Spirit is going to fill it, fill it up, and He's going to put us in places we need to be and use us there. God gives spiritual gifts in a general sense for the proclamation and advance of the gospel. We think, what are spiritual gifts for? Well, for the proclamation and advance of the gospel. God wants every person to receive the good news. The Bible says uh, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants every person to experience the gospel, to hear it and to, and to experience it. He, he's given spiritual gifts to equip Christians for ministry. You know, every follower of Jesus is a minister. 
you think, no, 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 no. We pay a few people to be ministers. That's not what the Bible says. The, the Bible says that God gives pastors to uh, churches for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. He gives uh, leaders to equip believers so that you live out your mission, so that you are able or better able to follow Christ. He gives spiritual gifts to edify the body of Christians. In other words, to build it up and to strengthen it so that in a congregation you might have a person with a unique gift of mercy. You know, it's a spiritual gift that the Bible talks about. Everybody should show mercy, right? But there are some people that God uniquely equips to have mercy at the heart of their personality. Or God may give to some person just a very generous, uh, the Bible talks, talks about generosity as a, a gift of the Spirit, a spiritual gift, and, or faith. Even in this passage, it talks about faith as a, a spiritual gift. In other words, everybody should have faith, right? We all have to have faith to be believers, to believe in Jesus. But there are going to be people in congregations that God gives a unique capacity to go, let's go. Let's believe God. Let's follow God in this. And the Bible says, here's what God's doing. He's putting all of those people in a spiritual family that by the time they're, they're all working through what he's empowered them to do, it all is going to ha uh, happen and get done. God edifies, builds up. He gives spiritual gifts for the wor uh, work of organizing the church so that one of the spiritual gifts in Scripture is administration. The ability to see a jumbled mess and turn it into something that's more orderly. That's a spiritual gift that God gives to the body that if, it, if it's something he's given to you, it needs to be exercised. It needs to be exercised, worked through. Affirming the truth of the gospel is an aspect of what spiritual gifts are. And the last part of this is that you matter for God's glory. It's all for God's glory. Verse 11 uh, comes right back to the very things that have been said throughout this passage. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills, as the Spirit wills. So the if, uh, emphasis returns to the Holy Spirit. We matter. Every single one of us do. You may think, I don't matter. No, nobody got left out. Nobody. Every single follower of Jesus, because the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, was given gifts by God. Gift of ha hospitality may be your gift, that you're just great at uh, putting out a spread and saying, come over, you know, let's sit down and, and uh, do this together, have meals. So, but God gives gifts to people, and every single person matters, and all of us are intended uh, to use these gifts as, they, as God fills our lives for his glory. He's worthy of worship. I love that hymn. It says, uh, he's worthy of worship and praise. The psalm says, God is great and greatly to be praised. He's worthy. He's great. He, he deserves our life of worship as we give ourselves to him. He intends to cover the whole... If God's perfect will was accomplished right now, everybody in the world would open their mouth and praise God. Everybody in the world would sing his praises. That's God's purpose for the whole, whole world. And he wants to use us as part of, you know, seeing that happen. His gifts to us are toward that end. God is a giving God. He isn't stingy and he isn't selfish. He isn't holding back his best from us. 
How do we know? <clears throat> because God stretched out his arms and allowed himself to be pierced through his wrist and he uh, allowed himself to be pierced through his feet and he allowed himself to be pierced through his side and he allowed himself to be bullied and shamed and spat upon and struck. That's how we know that God is a giving God because God made himself vulnerable so that we could experience forgiveness. He took what we deserve to give us what we did not deserve. We deserve that punishment. He took it to give us what we didn't deserve. That's grace and forgiveness. And the Bible says he's full of grace and truth. When Jesus was resurrected, he gave gifts to people. He led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. Not so that we might hoard them. He doesn't want us hoarding. He, you heard people say probably that our life is meant to be not a, a reservoir, but a conduit, right? Reservoir just stores and stores a conduit. There's a flow through that. And God intends for our, our life to flow out and pour out. He gives us gifts so that we can bless others. And so we don't want to minimize his power or make excuses about why we can't. Everybody else can. But why not you? It's just a matter of saying yes and making ourselves available and being used by God. So we set our excuses aside and we realize, hey, actually I have been empowered and I do matter. And we, we contribute. We don't bury our talent in the ground. We don't want to live uh, life merely for our own comfort, which is a temptation. We, we, don't, uh, we want to maximize God's purpose in us. Hopefully that's what you want. So we surrender and we serve. We show up and, and we sign up. Like, you remember uh, Isaiah, it's such a great passage of scripture. He, uh, God says, who will go for us? Who, who can I send? And he says, me. Here am I, send me. So God wants as many people in the world to worship him as possible, and we're part of, we're part of that. I want to pray for us. We're going to have our uh, commitment time this morning. Father, thank you for uh, gifts that you give to people undeserving people, people that uh, sometimes have too low of opinion of ourselves. Sometimes, God, we think, nah, that's somebody else, not me. But the truth is, you've given strength and power and ability to every single one of us because we belong to you if we belong to you. So we pray, God, that you'll use our lives and help us to be surrendered and available and used by you, and God, lead us and show us what it is that you want out of our place in ministry. And we commit ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.